Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. And for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce, how you doing? Hey, David, how are you doing today? Good. I'm back from a fantastic two-week holiday in the United Kingdom. I got a little bit of an airplane cold. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, uh, I'm not mad at the woman who was sitting two seats over coughing all the way home. I, I, I tell you, Bruce, I'm not at all upset with her one little bit. All right. Uh, I'm not. Uh, you made it through Pearson Airport okay? You know, that was good. I think yeah. whatever problems were there. Like, we we didn't go in, uh, my wife and I, we didn't go midsummer when the, right. you know, frankly, they were a lot of, the world is getting back to normal. And there's going to be hiccups along the way as systems reset and people start to crowd systems, which for a couple of years had been underutilized. So, um, but that said, re- people were really upset this summer and, and it did, you know, as Ryan Whitney said, the worst place on earth was Pearson airport, but we had no trouble at all there and no trouble at any airports. Sure. So that was, good. was the, night, the trip was fantastic. Was the queen's funeral over and done with when you arrived or was it, was that the day you got there? It was that we flew on the day. Uh, yeah it was a uh a big moment in the history of that country i mean Bruce, all our lives she's been there both you and me are all our lives she's been the queen for for whatever that means you know for me it means it means something because Mm -hmm. um she's she and you know i just want to say during covid i thought she really came like i never really understood the queen on some level, but during COVID, she had some wise words about having fellow feeling for other people, for their positions, um, and to, you know, try to just have quiet, good humor getting through this, you know, chin up. And that really, I kept going back to that because there was a lot of really hot moments during the pandemic where people were at each other over policy, what's the best route, you know, and people were really, and I always tried to go back to that to try to have some empathy for the other side, people who, who I was dis- disagreeing with at the moment. Um, so she, she provided that kind of calming presence, I think in a very stressful time, those words stuck with me. Well, I grew up in Newfoundland, I was born in the fifties. So, uh, when it was a new province and we had three anthems there, we had the Ode to Newfoundland, we had O Canada, we had God Save the Queen. And I think the latter was number one, which one I heard the most often was God Save the Queen. And, uh, the day after she died, I heard somewhere they had this big booming pipe organ in some cathedral somewhere and the, and the choir and the, and the congregation or whatever group of people were in it, all singing God Save the King at the top of their lungs. And it was sort of a moment saying, well, this is, a, this is an actual paradigm. This anthem will change once in my life and it's happening right now. Because it's never going to change back any time in the next 30 years, and I don't imagine I'm going to be around any longer than that. So, because there's three or four males in a row that are in line for. Uh, oh, that's for, for sure. Crowd, so, so, anyway, well, I, I think they there's a uh, two, and then there's the daughter. There's the king. Oh, okay. Because they've changed it. That the if you were female born, you used to go back of the line, <laughs> but they've changed it now, and I can't remember the young girl's name, Charlotte. Mm-hmm. I think it is the Princess Charlotte. Yeah. She's now second after the son uh, of uh, William and Kate. Oh. Well, William, William's first in line, and then oh. yeah, William, and then whatever his George. George. Yes. All right, all right, Bruce. Oh. Big Oilers news. I oh. I have not been able to watch the games, mm-hmm. um, so I saw highlights. You know, I was, mm-hmm. and I was reading all your stories and following uh, what's going on. So. You know, when we talk about the how players are performing, um, I can't really give much input into their recent performance. Yeah. That said, I'm not like honestly. W- when you're looking at these players, it's the big picture, and how they're doing in these games is part of it. If someone someone can really come to the floor, but as uh, for, but as we know from previous years with you know Magnus Pajarvi and Tyratty and other players who have looked really good in the mm-hmm. preseason, um, it doesn't tra- and Perlini last year it doesn't translate all the time um success in the preseason into uh, nhl performance so that we that has to be kept in mind and and certainly in the case of dylan holloway that that should be part of the conversation 
But Bruce, let's start off with Jake Vertanen. The Oilers gave, he, he, he this is a controversial player. Yeah. And the Oilers gave him a, tr- a professional tryout, not a contract this year. Uh, about three months ago, he was acquitted on a sexual assault charge, found not guilty. So, um, you know, that outraged a lot of fans that the Oilers would give um, this guy an opportunity at such a plum job, you know, like such a kind of an exalted position being an NHL player. And this this really uh, has bothered a lot of fans. It ends up that we, uh, Vertanen comes in, and I think that's a reasonable position to hold uh, for people who feel that way. Um, anyway, he comes in, and he doesn't play that well. And he didn't play that well, actually, in the KHL last year. In um, 36 games, he had nine goals and 16 points. So for, for the KHL, you know, which is a somewhere between the AHL and the NHL, that's not great performance. Now, he is a kind of a big hustling player. So obviously the Oilers had, had seen him and thought, well, maybe he can help us out on the wing. Maybe he can help us win. So that's why they did it. But in the end, they've, they've cut him. He didn't do that, from my understanding of how, and you've watched the games. Mm-hmm. Um, um, he didn't do that well. So first of all, we'll start with, what did you think of his play? And then what do you think of them, of the, just the whole uh, situation around Vertanen? Yeah, well, he certainly had plenty of opportunity. Uh, I believe he played six of the seven games, certainly five. Uh, now, last night's game, there was no stats, so uh, there's no one reliable place you can even look that stuff up for preseason. So unimportant are the, these games deemed by the NHL. Uh, so, but anyway, I think he played six games, and he had a few moments. He had a few flashes. You can say, you see, well, that's how the guy made it to the NHL. He's a big guy. He can skate a little bit. Every once in a while, he'd make a, a, a decent pass or, or a, a, um, a play along the wall or something. But they were fleeting. They were few and far between. And uh, uh, he was, um, uh, to my eye, just a little bit late getting to the play a lot. <clears throat> the puck would already be gone or the guy that he was trying to be hit tried to hit this happen last night. He took it, looked like he had a guy dead to rights. And by the time he got there, the guy just stepped aside and Vertanen uh, hit the wall, literally. And uh, that was, uh, uh, just happened too frequently in plays where um, where he, he just missed the boat. There was a play where he was breaking out of his own zone and the defenseman put a puck right through his lane and he forgot to look for the pass, like one of those plays you see sometimes in football where the receiver's running his route and he's not bothering to look for the football. Well, guess what? He ain't going to catch it. And that happened there. There was just sort of a few plays. And I heard the point made that if, you know, if he had, if you had this player out there without name bars, would you notice these things? And I'm just wondering if we would have even noticed the player at all. <laughs> in terms of, you know, there was really little he did to stand out. He he got an he got a nice assist in garbage time in the in the beatdown of the Abbotsford Canucks in Edmonton on Monday night, and then last night against the Vancouver Canucks, he did get an assist on on one of the goals. On a he shoveled a puck in front and it bounced off of somebody to the goal score. I think that was the Nuge goal that made it four four, and so a couple of moments, but. Uh, a uh, couple of penalties and and almost no hits. Like he had three games in a row with zero hits, and the whole idea was they were getting a robust physical, uh, in theory, power forward type. And I just was shot. Like that's that is a stat that a player has a lot of control over. Like you can go out there and throw hits. I mean, ask Marcus Niemelainen about that, I and mean, he gets five hits every game. And people wind up talking about his hitting game. Well, nobody's talking about Jake Bertanen's hitting game because he didn't show one. And so I just didn't see where he would help the club. And yet, they, you know, they kept giving him looks. And, and as Kurt put it in our last podcast, uh, Kurt Levins, he said that uh, when the organization does give a PTO to the player, uh, it's incumbent on them to give him a real shot at it. And whether he makes the grade or fails to make the grade is based on his performance. And uh, the idea being that even if this PTO fails, the next agent that you talk to that you want to bring their guy in on PTO, you're not saying, 
he's not saying to you, well, you cut the last guy without even giving a, giving a real shot at it because uh, the Oilers, one thing they've done under Ken Holland is the players that are on the on the uh, uh, on the cusp do get their do get their chances, and they gave him plenty of chances, and he, there was never a period of any of those games where I thought, oh, there might be a real player in there. It'd be you know these little flashes, and uh, with uh, lots of flat line in between. So uh, I think the the right decision on a hockey basis was made uh, to. Let him go. All righty. What did you think about them giving him a trial, Bruce? Oh, I lost your sound. Okay. Oh, oh got it back. Got it back. Okay. Oh, I'm being stri- struck by lightning as I speak. I, I, was, I, 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 was very surpri- I was very surprised just because there's been so much sort of undercurrents of stuff uh, in the city already uh, with... Uh, you know, Duncan Keith coming in just at the time that he did when that thing blew in Chicago. Uh, and we have no idea of his uh, of his involvement in it, but the fact that he was there when it happened and he was part of the leadership group of the team, some people looked askance at that. Then, of course, there was the Evander Kane signing and re-signing, uh, which at least on hockey terms can very much be defended that, you know, he's a hockey player that helps the team and... and uh, uh, but there, there was a lot of pushback on that one, and then of course we had a couple of uh, of, um, of uh, office uh, personnel that have come under the spotlight, uh, whether deservedly or not, in, in one case. But uh, and the other, uh, I was just frankly, I was shocked that Bob Nicholson signed off on bringing in Jake Bertan, and like this would have been a time for the organization, I think, to just deliberately stay uncontroversial on that front. There's just too much going on, and. I mean, the Oilers are getting a lot of bad press around the league, and again, there's some feedback from Oilers fans, especially um, female fans. A lot of them were were quite nonplussed by this decision. I just think, from a PR point of view, it was a mistake, and it was really an unforced error. All they, all they had to do was nothing. Indeed. Um, yeah, I didn't. I. I didn't see the guy play, so I can't really. I just remember him from Vancouver not being much of a player, kind of a up and down the ice um, guy who never really seemed to impact the game much. Um, Bruce, let's talk about. Um, so there was a game last night, and um, you watched the game. How was that? Well, watching the game was a, was a, a a trial in its own right, and. This happens, seems to happen once every preseason. Now, one of the games, last year it was Everett, Washington, where they play the, the Kraken. And other years it's been uh, Saskatoon or a game in a non-NHL city. And several things happen, and almost all of them are bad. Uh, there's no stats from the game, no, no sort of any kind of detailed stats and stuff we rely on to sort of see who's you know who's getting the push for ice time who's you know who's who's uh, um, uh, how the flow of play is when players on none of that uh, but you also get a lower quality feed uh, this is from Abbotsford BC home of the Abbotsford Canucks Vancouver's AHL farm team and this feed reminded me of AHL TV circa 2012 during the lockout when uh you and I and John Willis watched, watched a lot of, uh, of uh, games from Oklahoma City or around the AHL, and the, and the quality sort of varied from one place to the next. And it was just, the quality was poor, and it frankly distracted me from watching and taking information from the game that um, uh, they had... Uh, uh, it was they were hosting a truth and reconciliation event there, and the, Vancouver was talking about this is our truth and reconciliation night, and we're, you know, and we're playing the Oilers and Convict Day was playing and all this, and so the broadcast started and they showed some of the ceremony going on on the ice, but the volume was like one percent. You could just sort of hear this murmur in the background. Finally, I turned the TV way, way, way up so I could hear little bit of the ceremony, like that elders talking on mics and there's stuff going on. And then all of a sudden the announcers come blaring over at at uh, 
well, let's say it was turned up to 11. And I practically did a headstand on my remote trying to turn the volume down after that because the volumes were just... And, and then they were talking about the hockey game. Then they went to commercial and all this ceremony that they were talking about was completely disrespected in the broadcast. I was, again, kind of shocked. Like, if you're going to do it, do it right. You know? Seriously. Anyway. And then the feed was brutal. And the announcers, I think, were the Abbotsford Canucks. Uh, they weren't even the Vancouver broadcasters they were the b or c team from uh, the vancouver side of things and terribly biased like vancouver had nine power plays to two and it seemed like all this one guy could do was complain about all the penalties the oilers weren't getting and then complain about the one penalty vancouver did get oh, come on anyway so all of that was very aggravating and it was hard to follow plus the Oilers kind of sucked in this game I uh, like they just didn't seem to have it. And my, you know, my number one takeaway from the last night's game, frankly, is that eight exhibition games is too, too many. Uh, unless you want to take the contrary position. Oh. Better this was an exhibition game and not the season. <laughs> they were Good poor, up. but really none of the players did a whole lot to advance their cause in last night's game. And, and a few of them took a step backwards. Did they used to play six exhibition games? I can't <sighs> they used to play 10. I don't know. I mean, it's... You know, it's, it's crazy. It's a, yeah, you know, a, a bit of a cash cow. And I, I get that they want to look at the players on the cusp of the roster and stuff. But last night was a game where it just seemed like the whole works and I kind of lost interest in it. Because attention to detail was horrible. They took 10 penalties. And they had so many giveaways for two-on-ones and breakaways. There was a power play at the end of the first period where I think Nurse was playing the point because neither Barry or Bouchard were there. And he just kept coughing the puck up over and over again. It was brutal. And and then they had a the beginning of the third period where they gave up four, three breakaways and a two-on-one in the first minute and 52 seconds, I think, by the time they finally scored on the fourth one. And it was, it was the hockey itself was almost unwatchable over and above the feed that was also almost unwatchable. It was, it was, it was a very trying... I was not in a good mood watching that game. It was exciting. There was goals and stuff, but it was just so sloppy. It just, it's one of those games, not only would the coaches hate it, but sort of people that are, you know, purists of the game would also hate it. Because there, were so, there were so many shortcuts being taken and failed on. And it, it, was, uh, it wasn't a fun game to watch, really. Yeah, they used but to broadcast. It was fun, though. They, yeah, it's quite a nice goal. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I heard. They used to broadcast all the games on the regular TV, but I just, I guess the economics aren't there to, to run the full production and yeah, do guess. it that way. If, if they could sell ads and have it on TV, you'd think they'd do that. So they, they must not be able to make a financial go of it. Otherwise, they would have them on TV like they used to. Well, Toronto, they played their splits. They played play split squad day where they played two games in the same day and they televised both of them on national TV. But that's Toronto. I mean, that is a different market, a bigger market for sure. Uh, it's just massive. It's the biggest hockey market on earth. And, you know, a lot of great players come from that city. Most of the great, you know, a huge proportion, percentage of the great players on earth come from southern Ontario. Uh, a gigantic contingent of Ontarians on the orders right now. We sure do. We sure do. Starting with Connor McDavid. <laughs> We've also got Wayne Gretzky from southern Ontario. So, Thank goodness for Southern Ontario is what I'm saying. Uh, Hockey factory, yeah. It's almost, it's almost as good as the Prairies. <laughs> well, the second best player on earth is from the Prairies, from, from Alberta, Kale McCarr. Kale oh. um, McCarr may turn out to be the greatest player ever from Alberta, I was thinking. He's, he's, it's, a, it's a hard push to get past Messier and Fuhrer and, I don't know, uh, Johnny, is Johnny Busick from Edmonton as well? Yeah, Johnny Busick. But, um, yep. Eddie, I don't think Eddie Shore was from here, though. He was the Edmonton Express. Right. I don't think he's from here. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I don't think he is. Okay, there's some battles. And Bruce, mm -hmm. you're going to, you have the new information. Okay. <coughs> the battle for the top nine, for the top nine. Four, four wingers for three spots. Puglia Yarvi, Holloway, Yamamoto, and Warren Fogel. And, um, you know, I, I, I really think the world of Dylan Holloway. I think he would have made the team last year if he had not been. He might have made the team the year before in the playoffs. If not for his scaphoid injury, which is an injury to a small bone in the hand 
Um, and um, he is a fantastic hockey player. Um, at the same time, we all recall Magnus Piarvi coming into Edmonton as he did. And another really looked, he, he at 19, he won the uh, award for the best male hockey player at the world championships. You know, I think it was best or best forward in those world championships. I think that year, if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, Bruce, but I, he was, he, for team Sweden against men as a 19 year old, he was, you know, clearly one of the best players in that tournament, which says something, but he, Never really got it going as an NHL player. Although he did play, I think, four or 500 NHL games in the end, has played. Um, he came in and he had one great camp for the Oilers, three goals in a game. Holloway did the same, three goals in a game. But again, it was against a very weak team where they had, I understand, four defensemen who were sent down the next day to the AHL. And the goalie. And the goalie. <laughs> so, but Bruce, I, you know, so you could think, is he, we don't, and we can't really say for sure, is, is Dylan Holloway going to be a lot better than Magnus Pajarvi? Like, you know, I, I would like, I'd love to say, I'm sure that he is, but it's more like you can say, well, I'm 75, I'll give it 75% chance that he is and 25% chance that he isn't. That's, that's the best way to frame it. From what I see though, he is, um, he's at least as good a skater as, as Magnus Pajarvi. He's much more physical, and I think he reads the game better. He played center in university, and he was an outstanding center. Like, he really got the job done as a center iceman. Mm-hmm. He knows how to play defensive hockey. And I think that, that reading of the game may be at a higher level than some of the Oiler forwards, top Oiler forwards, who have not panned out, uh, like Pai Arvey, like Neil Yakupov. And to some extent, Sam Gagne, which is a weird thing to say given the length of his career. But as a first-line center or a second-line center, even Sam Gagne never really got there because his defensive reading of the game at that point in his career was lacking. He later became responsible defensively and has found a role as a, you know, a fourth-liner. But I'm just hoping, and I think that Holloway has this defensive acumen, um, which will separate him from those other players, combined with some pretty darn good offensive skills. So it's going to be interesting, Bruce, uh, about what happens. Like, there's all this talk now of like, who's gonna who's gonna be on the fourth line or who's gonna get traded? What do you think is gonna happen? You know, you've been watching all these games. What's your what's your opinion? I have. Well, your observation on uh, Holloway, uh, I've been saying some of the same things in terms of uh, he has looked real good. He he was excellent in Penticton. Uh, he's just turned 21, you know, <clears throat> second year pro. And uh, as a first round draft pick, you would expect him to shine in that environment. And uh, and he did. And he did carry it over to the preseason. Uh, and he's had, I would say, three excellent games. Uh, but two of them uh, were against um, uh, pretty undermanned opponents, against Winnipeg in the first game. Uh, uh, home game, the very first preseason game, uh, that the Oilers won four nothing, and also against Vancouver in the most recent home preseason game, where they dressed the four D men, the one goalie, and a few forwards that got cut the next day. Like it really was, they the Oilers made the same cuts on Sunday while Vancouver waited till Tuesday, and they kept they kept the guys that they kept played against in Edmonton on Monday. And not only was Holloway playing against a lot of AHLers in that game, which you expect him to do well against AHLers, whether he's playing in the AHL or whether he's up here, but when he's on the line with high and dry, you know, uh, Zach Hyman and Leon Dreisaitl and Dylan Holloway beating up on AHLers is kind of what you expect to see happen. And in fact, that is what we did see happen. They just laid waste to those guys. And it was... uh, I think they scored three goals in that game on five-way passing plays where all five guys on the ice touched the puck in succession before the last guy slammed it home. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful to watch. I know Drysaddle, he had no points in that game, and he had three goals where he had either the third or fourth assist, and and it was a key play. It just sort of of sprung the wheels in motion for for a fine passing play. And Holloway was in the middle of it, and you know, and he sort of, I think, uh, took advantage of the fact that goaltending wasn't quite up to snuff. I think, 
if that had been against uh, uh, Thatcher Demko, there would have been no hat trick. He probably would have got the deflection uh, and maybe the second goal, but the goalie was kind of, I thought, poorly positioned. It was a great shot by Holloway. I mean, let's take the positives where there are great positives to be seen here. But when you get into the NHL regular season, you're not going to have these games where one team is demonstrably way better than the other team because of the lineups in the game. And to his credit, Holloway was also really good in the Winnipeg game at Winnipeg that the Oilers were the underdogs and they and they stole the game three to two. And Holloway was, uh, uh, in some respects, uh, best player on the ice. I know he got the most ice time of any Oiler in that game, 21 minutes and 40 seconds. That's not exactly what you'd expect from a rookie. But again, there was, you know, uh, uh, Woodcroft didn't have a lot of choices on his bench because none of his big guys were on that trip. And and Holloway showed very well in that game. And then the other two games when he was in Calgary against the NHL-style team, and I thought last night in Abbotsford, they were running him right from the start of the game. I thought they, Vancouver actually targeted him a little bit and uh, took him out of it a little bit. And he had some moments, but he also had some, I mean, he coughed up the puck for a breakaway one time, which put him in a select group of about 12 Oilers who did something similar during the game, but he was one of them. And it was uh, it was very much a hit and miss game. So we know we got a player here. I think I'm very confident saying that this guy is going to be an NHL player and probably this year. Uh, but to sort of say, well, he belongs in the top six, obviously, to me, that's a bridge too far until he actually proves it in, you know, games that matter against sort of equal, uh, equal competition. And that really doesn't occur until the games start counting for points. Yeah. You know, I'm like, there's a, the ongoing controversy with Pulley RV. Frankly, I'm sick to death of it. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just so tired both. of the back and forth. Like, you and me both. Uh, and I don't know what to say about it, honestly, Bruce, like the guy's a good player. I think he's the top six winger in the NHL. Um, so um, if they can't, if he doesn't have that role here in Edmonton, like trade him, if they, you know, move him out, time to time to move him out. And it's, it's come down to that. And I don't know, like, I don't know, like, is the problem that they might have to, you know, attach a draft pick to move him out? Like some, cause, cause of his three, what is it? $3.1 million cap hit. So he, it, he might be viewed as a little overpaid by some NHL teams. I don't know. We don't know. I mean, yeah. this is a possibility. Oh, I know. So, it would be a major fail if they qualified him, signed him to a contract, oh, and then see. had to trade him out with sweeteners. Then, the, again, if that is actually how it turns out, again, it would be a case where the best option was to do nothing. Because by signing him, you know, they when they kind of put themselves in this in this position, you know, I mean, I, 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 it, it would be just a disgusting outcome if, they, if that was what were to wind up. Uh, or if they had you think retain, it's a possibility? Or they had to retain salary or whatever. Uh, I think Ken Holland has had chances to trade him uh, most likely and that he hasn't because he has been on uh, nothing that he's getting value. So, and I do think he values the player. I know Brad Holland, and I know Jay Woodcroft value the player. And uh, unfortunately, he did not have a stellar exhibition season. He really did not help his own cause. He had one good game in Winnipeg that almost nobody watched. Uh, I watched. I thought he was really good. He had five shots. And, you know, he was, uh, um, he looked like himself. But in two or three of the other games, he's just not there yet. And it used to be the preseason, you know, with the proven pros, well, you kind of expected that there would be, uh, some of it would be, you know, getting your, getting your game timing down as opposed to to uh, balls to the wall. But uh, uh, he still has stuff to prove, and he didn't prove enough of it in this preseason to silence the critics, let's put it that way. No, he certainly has not. Anyway, we'll see how this all plays out, Bruce. There is an ongoing uh, salary cap issue with the Oilers, yes, which would be solved if they can move out one of Puglia, Yarvi, or Fogel. And um, so, yeah, that's my position on Puglia, Yarvi. If, he, if he's not going to be in the top six, just trade him to a team where he can play there. I think that's where he should be. He probably wants to be and make that happen. Um, of course, then, you, you know, then Holloway has to come through. That's asking a lot of a young player. Um, in a top six role, 
um, if that's yeah. what he's going to be. So that's that's a big risk. Yeah, the other battle is, would move high <laughs> into the right side would be the answer to that. But there's, I mean, they have, I think, ten top nine forwards is how they're approaching it. One of them playing the fourth line, probably at center, and it could be Ryan McLeod, or it could be uh, Dylan Holloway playing the role Brian McLeod did last year, which is fourth line minutes at even strength, but time on both special teams to to bulk up his minutes because he does have that breadth of game. In some ways, he's similar to Ryan McLeod. Yeah, and, you know, Ryan McLeod is being asked to play a big, bigger, much bigger role. If he's going to be the third line center, that's a tough job. Mm -hmm. And can he get it done? I mean, he's going to be killing penalties, checking really good players. Um, He had one really good year in the HL as a scorer. Yep. He he's proven as an AHL AHL scorer, so you know I think he can get it done. Just like I think, for instance, Brett Kulak is probably going to step into the top four and be okay. But this is another question mark. But you can't keep every player you want to keep with in this NHL with the salary cap. Yep. It's just not going to happen. So a, a tough decision is going to have to be made here. Um, okay, the, on the defense we have four players fighting for two jobs: Ryan Murray, Dmitry Samarukov, Marcus Niemelainen, and Philip Robry. Um, my, from what I've been reading, Murray's been pretty steady uh, during preseason. Nima Linen's been Nima Linen, big hits and some trouble with the puck. Philip Broberry has struggled defensively, um, hasn't has had some bad moments in games, and Sam Rukov has played okay. Um, going in, you know, Philip Broberry, when you look at what he's done at other levels of hockey, it looks like the next step should be for him to be in the NHL this season. Um, that said, if he, if he was to play, you know, 10, 20, 30 AHL games, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, just to, just to hammer home whatever messages need to, need to be hammered home. What do you have? What do we, the guy I, I haven't seen, Bruce, is Ryan Murray. What do you think of him? Oh, he's kind of as advertised. He's a, you know, he's a veteran player. He's clearly, uh, seen a lot, done a lot, um, uh, in terms of, uh, he kind of is pretty good at making the easy play and making it consistently, and you know just sort of quieting, quieting down things. And I think he's a nice sort of uh, potential stabilizer, uh, as opposed to keeping all young guys, you know, at your five, six, seven spots. Yeah. Uh, so I think he's in there pretty solid, and I think at number seven. But it's very possible that if uh, uh, depending on how Broberry or Nima Linen were the two likeliest guys to start the season on the three left defense. Uh, if that guy who's on the team struggles some, you might see Murray in there sooner than later as in terms of taking shifts and playing games. Uh, but I, I do think he's uh, shown enough that he's likely to make it, and he also has the, uh, uh, the great... Um, advantage of having an NHL minimum salary. So, you know, they they can't pay him any less to do the job that he's doing. So his salary is not in any way going to be a a detriment to him making the team. Uh, Whereas a guy like Dmitry Samorkov, who's at NHL minimum plus $25,000, like nothing, he's at $775, and yet on the 21-man model of the team that uh, uh, um, Hart Levine of Puckpedia put out, uh, in which he successfully predicted Brian McLeod's $798,000 cap hit, which had me perking up my ears and taking notice. Uh, that has Ryan Murray on the team at 750. It does not have room for Dmitry Smarkov because he's 25,000 higher. There's one little adjustment wrinkle they could do to save 12.5, but they need more to, to fit Smarkov even on the team. So one possibility is, uh, I mean, what Hart's saying and what I think is probably where the orders will go is that they want to put both uh, Holloway and Broberry on the initial roster. Yeah. Because if they do that, even for one day at the beginning of the season, uh, they go on the roster at their salary and all the bonuses, which they as former number one draft choices have bonuses built in and they're significant, like $850,000 for a robbery. 
So if they keep him on the roster to start the season, he's got an $863,000 cap hit. If they send him out and then call him up during the season, they call him up at 1.7. And that's a huge bite. It's like calling up two players instead of one. Yeah. When you're like 25 cents under the cap ceiling, you can't really afford to be doing stuff like that. Uh, So at least in the case of, of, um, if they keep robbery, it means they have, they'll have to send out, if they keep robbery and uh, Murray, which is likely, they would have to send out Niemelein and, and Smorkov. Um, but they can comfortably do that for Niemelein because he doesn't have to clear waivers. So they can send him out, put him on the minor league team, and then if they decide, no, Niemelein was a better player at camp, uh, that... Uh, uh, he uh, uh, he deserves to be on the team. Well, they call him right back up on day two and send Brovery out, who also doesn't need waivers. And the cap space is there, and uh, Brovery's future bonus issues are all covered. So they can do that with Nima Linen. So if, I expect Brovery to be on the season opening lineup, but whether he's on the, um, sorry, the season opening roster, whether he's actually in the lineup is a separate question. On the other hand, Sam Orkov does require waivers. And if they put him on waivers, there's every chance they might lose the guy and just lose that option, uh, optional depth player of a you know, 23-year-old guy that they've been working, you know, developing for five years. Uh, you know, it would suck, but it does happen. Kind of between a rock and a hard place, there's almost no flexibility unless someone gets banged up in, uh, you know, at the end of camp. Yeah, the or tough thing is a mystery hip flexor injury yeah, that's, or something. That's you know, what I that himself. That's that's one. one my my shoulder is a little sore still. Yeah. You know, uh, it would be tough to lose him, Bruce, because they've in, they've invested a lot of time and effort in developing this player. He's obviously got a lot of promise, <laughs> some promise as a player. And mm-hmm. it was one thing to lose William Loggison in the end. Mm-hmm. After they tried him in Edmonton, they tried him. He got a couple good runs to make the team. Samarukov has yet to have that very, very difficult circumstances to lose a promising hockey player like that. So I, I, I'd hate to see that. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, they must have some sense, Ken Holland, about how keen. Like some teams, if they've been trying to get Samarukov in deals, mm-hmm. Ken Holland would know if he puts them on waivers, they're going to the good right. chance to grab him, right? So he can read that. They have information we do not have. Mm-hmm. So with that, you know, hopefully they 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 guess this right. Maybe if they send him down, that'll work out. Or as you say, he could get the mystery. He'd have to go on long term. Would he not It'd have to be two weeks out? Um, yes. Yeah. No, Short term injured reserve is not a solution because that yeah. gets counted against the cap, and they they you know they just haven't got any cap. Well, well, two weeks in Edmonton nursing that injury that he probably got this morning wouldn't be a bad idea, Bruce, for Dmitry Samarukov, because it's it's been it's been um, weird that there haven't been injuries in a way. But there, there's always injuries, it seems. So um, there's always people bumped up, banged up in some way. So the chance the chance will come. He will get an opportunity if he's in the organization this year to play in Edmonton uh, for more than three minutes, like he got last season. So, um, I, and I, and I just really want to see that myself because I, he's a very interesting player, um, as a skilled player, a good player. So, yeah, well, after five or six summers of us, uh, uh, looking at the prospects in the system that he's always been kind of in the top 10 prospects for, for years now. I mean, we've been sort of waiting for that day that he makes the step and if it turns out that he makes it with some other organization that just claimed him for basically free on waivers after all those years of development it would really sting. He will be the Miroslav Shatan of defensemen who got away. Um, let's not get into that. All right. Greg Wyshynski, yeah. Bruce. Mm-hmm. Greg Wyshynski, who is a noted, um, he's taken some shots at the orders in the past. I actually get a real kick out of Greg Wyshynski. I think um, a lot of sports commentators are bland and don't say very much. He's really funny, and he's uh, he's he's got a very caustic, sarcastic point of view. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and in years past, he's taken a ton of shots at the Oilers organization, mainly when Shirelli was in charge and and the Old Boys Club. 
He was on the Oilers during the decade of darkness and during the Shirelli era. I have noticed, though, actually, because I was going through some of the old stories that in recent years, he's been a lot more positive about the Edmonton Oilers. And today, Bruce, that culminated in Greg Wachinski of ESPN predicting that this year the Edmonton Oilers would win the Stanley Cup. So um, here's what he writes, quote, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are generational talents on the same team. The gravitational pull of those stars will eventually ensnare a Stanley Cup for the franchise, as it did for Gretzky and Messier, for Mario and Yager, for Sakic and Forsberg, and for Crosby and Malkin. So why not now? And um, this is one of the, the you know, I, I think that's a, that's a good argument, especially, and he mentioned, you know, the, how they filled in around the two superstars with a lot of talented players who, you know, we're all well aware of who those are. The funny thing is, Bruce, my heart says you got it. Yeah, Greg, you got this right. But my head says the Colorado Avalanche. If I was to bet real money right now, Bruce, like if I had to bet my money, mm-hmm. I would bet on the Avalanche to win the cup over the Oilers right now. That team isn't, is a little I feel they're a little different than other teams that have won the, the Stanley Cup in recent years, like teams that, you know, rose to that level and would have a hard time maintaining it. This Avalanche team is is a hell of a team. And they're also kind of design-built to give the Oilers a hard time because their defense core, you know, it has two things that, that, that gives any team, and including the Oilers, trouble. They've got incredible speed and skill advancing the puck. I mean, you try, you get in on there on three or four of their D-men, and they're just around you. They dance around you. They skip around you. So the forecheck, the Oilers are a good forechecking team and can cause a lot of trouble for other squads by putting pressure on. Against the Avs, that didn't work because Kale McCarr and Bowen Byram and Devin, Devon Taves and other players just were moving that puck so well. And at the same time, they're so agile and, and depth uh, deft, I should say, on defense, that they were able to um, slow down McDavid in a way that, you know, a lot of teams are unable to do. They have defensemen who are capable of shutting down, not always, but more often than not, Connor McDavid. So this team, um, which which also has is loaded it forward and continues to be, represents a massive challenge for the Edmonton Oilers. And I, that's my pick to win the Stanley Cup is the Colorado Avalanche. I think that in one out of three years, one out of three series, one out of three years, the Oilers would beat the Avs in the playoffs. But two out of three, I'd take the Avs. So, they're, you know, it's possible the Oilers can beat them. And if players improve on the Oilers, if the Oilers, like, if players like Bouchard step up and Kulak and Holloway and McLeod and, and everyone else hangs in there as a really good player, yeah. And, and there's not injuries. So, so much of it comes down to injuries in the playoffs, as we saw last year with Nurse and Dreisaitl. Yeah, the Oilers can beat them. Yes, definitely. But uh, I got to pick the Avs this year as a prediction. How about you? Well, if they're going to beat the Oilers two out of three, they already got the first one. So we're going to pick the next <laughs> two, right? So no. That that, that, that's, what happened, that's what happened with the Islanders. They, we, Oilers played them in 81, lost... Played them in the '83 final, lost. Played them in the '84 final, won. So it took, you know, it took three, three cracks yep. at them, and they were an epically good team. The Islanders, obviously, winning four Stanley Cups in a row. Uh, I would suggest, from your original statement about Colorado being different, well, they're, they're, I mean, each champion is different. Well, I would, I would, I have uh, uh, pretty high regard for the Tampa Bay mini dynasty that. Uh, won two Stanley Cups and then went to the finals the third year in a row. That's uh, uh, that's uh, no mean feat, and that was uh, a very top-notch team. But they're, they're almost um, spent out in terms of their salary cap situation. They had to do some pretty deft stick handling with the Kucherov situation that pissed off so many people in uh, 2021. Uh, but... Um, that's, that's the great equalizer these days. And thankfully, to some extent, it's the great equalizer for Colorado, right? They lost Nazem yeah. Kadri because they couldn't yeah. afford him under the cap. They lost Darcy Kemper because they couldn't afford to keep him under the cap. You know, there's a few, a few players that uh, uh, Burkowski, they would like to keep. 
that they couldn't afford to keep. I think they still kept the guts of the team. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Natushkin. I think they were wise to hang on to him. Of course, uh, they got McKinnon locked up for one more year at cheap. And, you know, I think they they've, they certainly still got the, the guts of their Stanley Cup champion team. But I think they I think they might be down the court just from the from the guys that they lost. On the other hand, Kale McCarr and Bowen Byram are still learning, right? They're just going to get better in, yeah. uh, in the years ahead. And that that gives them just a gigantic edge. Like their 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 defense was a defensive group. I thought was a cut above the rest of the NHL last year. Kale McCarr is the first player I've seen since Connor McDavid came in the league who has kind of a similar level of talent at his position. He he plays the game, kind of that next level hockey that McDavid brings to, to center ice. McCarr mm-hmm. brings that on defense. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to be thrilled one day to see them together on Team Canada. But... Um, it's hard to root against Kale McCarr, I find, like when I'm watching the abs. Like he's just such a tremendous hockey player. And, you know, I'm kind of sour, like when McDavid comparisons are made generally, like, like, like when Taylor Hall beat McDavid for the MVP, I was super sour. And when Matthews beats him, because I, I just think these are, um, it's not fair to McDavid. And it's their narrative kind of, you know, you got to tell yourself a pretty interesting story to have these guys beating up McDavid for the MVP in my eyes. And um, that's how it's done. But Makar, I, I, I just see him um, having that kind of tremendous ability. So um, I just, I'm looking forward to these games and these series. And I think it's it's going to be thrilling. And I can't, I, and I really hope they do meet in the playoffs again this coming year. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, Kadri and their goalie, Kemper, um, Kadri was injured. Um, and the Abs beat the Oilers, and Kemper, and so was Kemper. So they already beat the Oilers without those two guys. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. The Oilers, yeah, the Orders can definitely beat them. I mean, with with Drysdale and, and Nurse had been healthy, that would have been that could have been six or seven games that series, and who knows what would have happened. Um, yeah. Connor McDavid alone is is supernova as he was as he went last year in the playoffs wasn't able to do it on his own though and that was surprising to me because i just thought he was going to keep ripping through everybody i didn't think anyone could stop him and then that happened they didn't stop him but they they have more depth and and you know the Oilers had two of their top three players were 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 compromised with injury and colorado were missing a couple of guys with injury uh but the, you know their top guys were all going yeah so Anyway, they have and Kale McCarr, David. He turns 24 at the end of this month. Yeah. So he's 23, same age as Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Gary Curry, Glenn Anderson. All were when the Oilers won their first cup. Uh, he's played in the NHL 178 games. He's got 180 points. He's played in the playoffs 55 games already. 55 career games already for Kale McCarr. Four seasons of double-digit playoff games. 60 points in 55 playoff games. So his points per game is over a point per game in the regular season and the playoffs, even a little better in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, he's a defenseman. Yeah. <laughs> it's just off the charts. What Point a hockey player he is. Oh, so, yeah. It's hard. I find it hard to find defensemen to compare him to. In, in that way, he's like McDavid in a way because... The, the skating, the skill level in the skating and the and the deftness of the puck handling is so much, is so different and unique in it um, that it's it's hard. Like, you know, we've had Bob Yore and we've had Paul Coffey, but these they were these smooth skating guys who kind of went through your whole team. Where McCarr is just like a jitterbug out there, here, there, everywhere, so quick, so unbelievably quick. Um, anyway, uh, thanks. I, I'm, I appreciate Greg... Wyshynski's optimism Mm -hmm. and I think there's a good like you know I think one out of four seasons you know Mm -hmm. I give the orders a one in four chance of winning the Stanley Cup this year with the the Avs uh 1.5 out of four and the rest of the league all the other teams combined 1.5 out of four last time that happened uh, Frank Saravalli did it in 2018 and the orders uh uh, responded by missing the playoffs so let's hope they they didn't read the Wyshynski press clippings 
yeah, I already had that moment of fear this summer where I was thinking, are they going to fall on their face? So I carefully went through all the factors, and I, I think I think it's highly unlikely that the, the owners have that kind of collapse. This is a very very good injuries. Is a, injuries is the only thing. I mean, it's yeah, it's now a mature team where they're where they're top young stars are now their top stars and the true core of the team uh, where they don't need other veterans to show the way you know they're 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 the veterans and they've got you know the high-end skill I mean we sure saw McDavid and Drysaddle take a hard run at it in the playoffs last year and just wish them a little better health this year and uh, hopefully you know as long as the team stays moderately healthy uh, they should have a you know a real crack at it. And, and the other exciting thing is there are these young players who are bubbling up like Holloway and Bouchard and Philip Broberry. And and if they do reach their potential, I mean, that's that's what the orders have. They've got to have that happen with uh, some of these players. And it looks like it might. Ryan McLeod is on that list and Stuart Skinner. So it's a for the first time in a long time, you know, the farm system is regularly providing um, good, solid, promising prospects. And uh, this isn't the Edmonton Oilers franchise of um, the decade of darkness. Much has changed. Shirelli and Keith Gretzky got that farm system going to give them some credit, even though they didn't, Shirelli obviously didn't do everything right. And Holland and his group have kept that up and, and brought in some really good um, veteran pro players as well, in Kane and Hyman and Jack Campbell and Kulak. So... I'm excited, Bruce. I'm excited heading into this year. It should be a fantastic season. Well, certainly the core of the team is, uh, as a group, is pretty close to the core of their careers, like near the peak value uh, or near the peak age. You know, if you say uh, 2023 to 30 is the peak age, that's most of them. You know, you don't have any 38 and 40-year-olds on this year's team. And you're not putting like huge expectations on 21 year olds to, you know, do, to do the heavy lifting. Like, like they have, you know, even their, their um, young forwards, many of them are, you know, 24, like Yamamoto and Pogliarvi are. Uh, So they're, they're clustered sort of near the, the center of the career curve as, as a group. And I think that bodes well. Yeah, one of the things I wrote about recently, and and you looked at the center depth as well, is like how this group of centers stacks up. I mean, this group of centers, like people capable of playing center, McDavid and Drysaddle, Nugent Hopkins, McLeod, Derek Ryan, Dylan Holloway, and Devin Shore. You know, that's seven deep, I think, in players. And Brad Malone, I don't really know if he's an NHL, even a fourth-line center, but we could give him that. Seven or eight deep in quality, you know, and at the top you have McDavid and Drysaddle. You know, I think you have to go back to 1988, the last year Gretzky was on the team, to find that kind of depth. They had Gretzky, Messier, McTavish, Kevin McClellan, and Keith Acton. And, um, you know, that was the best group of centers the Oilers have ever had. But this group, as a group, they've got a chance to, you know, to um, get into that same category. They've got to win a Stanley Cup or two, though. To, to make that kind of claim until that happens. You can't really put them in the same right. category, but man, it's, I, who knew Bruce that we would see in our lifetimes, um, the orders twice kind of amass this type of talent at such a key position uh, for an NHL team. It's thrilling that they've done so. They had some good luck in doing so. I mean, they had some good luck in getting Gretzky though as well. So um, this is how it happens. This is how it happens in the, in the hockey world. So, there's lots to love, lots to be excited about. It's a good time to be an Edmonton Oilers fan. Yeah, well, building around center beats the crap out of building around the wings. Yeah. And I saw that during the era of hope. Yeah. Hope, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. That's what uh, Red said in the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, and the hope Paul. of Paul, Omar, Payarvi, and Everlay. Uh, all wingers that were rookies on the same Oilers club of 2010-11, and but the center depth wasn't wasn't there, and 
asking a winger to play center as they did with Taylor Hall at one point is a whole lot different than asking a center to play winger as they've now done with guys like Leon Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Ryan McLeod, Derek Ryan, and on down the list. Still it's very really easy for those up. guys. So you can have seven or eight centers on your team and use some of them at center and use the rest of them at the wing. It's almost the old Team Canada for, formula. You know, they bring in like nine centers and three natural wingers and somehow they get four lines out of it. Uh, uh, they've got, uh, that's why I mentioned Brad Malone, even Greg McCaig. Post that I wrote, I listed eight guys that played played center in the National Hockey League that are on the, on the Oilers extended roster now. And seven of them had at least 200 games in the NHL. So you're not just talking about, you know, you're not saying, well, Dylan Holloway might turn out to be a good center one day. Uh, you're saying, well, these guys, you know, had careers in the NHL and they're all mostly still sort of somewhere near their peak age. And, oh, yeah, Dylan Holloway might be a good center in some future year, but they don't need him to be a center right now. They just need him to play. And they've got other guys that can do the, uh, the center position and put the kid where he helps the most kind of thing. They've kind of done that with Ryan McLeod, too. And it's, uh, uh, it, it's nice to have players of that versatility that have such breadth of, of game uh, that, you know, the, the the future for them, it's hard to tell how high they can take it, but uh, very, very promising. All righty. Well, Bruce, um, I think we've covered the territory for now. Let's just check Twitter to see if anything's, I think that's probably it for the day. They sent down uh, the goalie Picard. Oh, yeah. and Picard. And, uh, and they signed Steve Stayos to be player... Uh, involved in player development Correct. and I would suggest management after a successful management career in the OHL where his team Houghton Bulldogs uh, made it to the Memorial Cup final last last year and won the OHL first of course yeah and, uh, his son was on that team Nathan Stayos real good player small guy but uh, but very very feisty and competitive kind of like his old man uh, but he's aged out now so it was a, a logical time for Steve, steady Steve, to turn the page and on his own sort of burgeoning post-playing career and find a different challenge. And he's found it here in Edmonton. That doesn't uh, doesn't make me unhappy. Indeed. So reliable kind of character person, knows his hockey and made the most out of the talent that he had, which is something you see in common with a lot of the coaches and managers they weren't necessarily great players but they they had to learn the game inside out to to make it as far as they did in many cases and I, you have to say that about steve sales was able to uh wring every ounce of talent out of himself to uh to make a career of it i note that in hamilton his team um he was the gm and president mm -hmm. and twice he he won the ohl championship with that team and he did it with some pretty bold moves. Um, mm -hmm. He traded for Robert Thomas one year. Oh yeah, near the yes, end of the year, sir. and that yeah. yeah. And last year he traded for Mason McTavish, and those. So he's he showed some. Uh, you know, I've once I, I can't remember who said this, but it's, they said it's better in some ways to develop in major junior as a coach than the than in the AHL because in major junior you run your own show. Mm -hmm. You know, you're the person, you're in charge, and it's and it's your it's your program. And they said that kind of experience is really, really valuable. Well, Steos, he's had his own program. He was the, mm -hmm. he had to get it done. And he took a franchise. I don't think it had won a whole lot. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know how much they'd won in the past, but I think he turned it around pretty good there. And they got to the, the uh, Memorial Cup championship last year before losing to St. John. So um, he's had success uh, as a manager at another level. He's paid his dues. And it's great to see him in the Oilers organization. He's got the Kyle Dubas res resume, Dave. There you go. GM of the of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds for a number of years and built up a powerful program there and, uh, you know, went on to bigger, I won't necessarily say better, but bigger things in the uh, National Hockey League. And, uh, you know, that, but that, that career path of, of uh, learning through junior, as you say, and running your own show, uh, that's a great learning experience for a, a, a young executive type. 
Now, he's into player personnel, but we'll see where that develops into. As you know, these front office roles have a have a way of, of uh, growing when a guy shows aptitude. You see what's going on with uh, uh, Brad Holland, as a, as a for instance, or, or Keith Gretzky, you know, as they spent time here, uh, uh, they uh, uh, saw their role expand, their title change, and, you know, had new, uh, new aspects to look after. And so he's just getting his foot in the door uh, and where he'll be a year or two years from now might not even be Edmonton, but if it is, it may be uh, a little, little toward, more towards the center of the cluster of management. Alrighty, let's leave it there, Bruce. Thanks for talking today. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.